Before we begin our Torah study, let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. I want to speak this morning on the topic of joining our faith and our actions together. This world, you know, includes blessings and curses, life and death, good and evil. I think everybody already knows that. What everyone may not know is that we are not hapless or helpless victims. We're not powerless in this world. This week's Torah portion teaches us to reject passivity. Do not go through this life as a passive person. We're called to be active. We're called to take action. We are called to have active responses and positions to make choices, and not just any choice, but to choose life. Let's say that together, choose life. To choose blessing, let's say that together, choose blessing. And we're called to choose to act and to choose well. And so we need to use our power and our will and our initiative. We're called to do our part. So again, if you like the person you're sitting next to you, you can smile when you say this, do your part, do your part. And if you're not sitting next to you, find someone who you like anyway, smile at them. (laughs) Do your part. Do your part. But when we say that to other people, we're also saying it to ourselves, yes? We're saying, I'm ready to do my part. I wanted to start with this because the Torah portion this week presents a very strong vision for the life of faith. And it is not a life of passivity. It's not a life of super spirituality that says God's just going to do everything. All I got to do is pray. I just got to be religious and then everything will be great. This is a real life. It blends together our faith and our actions. It's a life that integrates what we believe and what we do. It is a life that recognizes God's initiative and his power, as well as our responsibilities, our initiative, and our power. It's a life that honors both God's part and our own part. I want to tell you this. God does his part, and we do our part. That's the deal. We're in this together. And don't accept any other deal. If someone's trying to sell you another version of life with God, and they're saying, God will do everything, you don't have to do anything, and you'll never have any more problems again, it's not true. Some people think that God does everything. But that reduces us as humans, it, it diminishes us. It means that we're not in a covenant with God because we have no responsibility. And it makes us as humans passive. There's nothing to do, whatever happens, fine. 
But that's wrong. Some people think that God does nothing. And there's a variation on that. God used to do something, but he doesn't do anything anymore. Well, that means that they have to do everything. And that makes God passive. And both of these positions will lead you astray. They will lead you into a place of confusion, uncertainty, indecision, and you, instead of being strong with the Lord and strong in, in your commitments to God, you'll just have a wait-and-see attitude and be passive. Our part integrates with our faith. What we do is connected to who we believe and who we put our trust in. And it's important for us to connect those actions. So, so what's the, an alternative? That's what we're gonna focus on. We're gonna read a few verses from this week's Torah portion so we can focus our attention and let the scriptures instruct us. And as we read this, I want you to think about in the passage we're gonna look at in Deuteronomy 26, verses one through three, you can turn there. As we read this, think about who is taking action and what are they doing? And we'll read these, this passage twice. First, we'll just read uh, without stopping, three verses, and then we'll read it phrase by phrase. Deuteronomy 26, starting in verse one. When you have come to the land, Adonai your God is giving you as your inheritance taken possession of it and settled there, you are to take the first fruits of all the crops the ground yields which you will harvest from your land that Adonai your God is giving you. Put them in a basket and go to the place where Adonai your God will choose to have his name live. You will approach the Kohen holding office at the time and say to him, today I declare to Adonai your God that I have come to the land Adonai swore to our ancestors that he would give us. That's the passage we're looking at. And we're gonna go through this and I want you to think about who's being called to action. That's one part and the other thing is what, are, what is that? who is called to action, what are they doing? So when you have come to the land, that's speaking to the children of Israel while they're in the wilderness getting ready to go into the land before they go into the land, right? So the, the who is the children of Israel, but when we're reading this, we wanna read it two different ways. We wanna read it to understand how they might have heard it and what it meant to them, but we also wanna read it and look for the principles that apply to us and that, makes, that um, have impact on us today. When you've come to the land, that's the first part. So the who is the children of Israel who are in the wilderness, who are hearing this, who are gonna go into the land but it's also speaking about an action that will take place. You've come to the land. So the children of Israel have to keep going. Do you see that? They have to keep going. They're not in the land, but they will come to the land as long as they keep going. So when you come to the land, when you come to the land, 
Now, I don't know if I can tell this exactly right, but a Messianic rabbi friend of mine said, it's really important to put your butt in the right place. And this is what he meant by that. That sometimes people will say something like this. The Lord says we're going to be in the promised land, but here we are in the wilderness. And so the but, you see where the but is? It's, well, here we are. And he says, now you got to get your butt in the right place. And here's how you do it. We're in the wilderness, but the Lord says we're going to be in the promised land. Do you see the difference? So how you organize that and how you think is really important. Because the word of the Lord is powerful. The word of the Lord is true, and the word of the Lord can be experienced by those who are faithful to God and who know that he can speak and bring things into existence. He can call things that are not as though they were, as though they are. When we, when we have Torah services, and we read from the Haftor, we have a closing blessing. And I'm gonna to read to you in the English what it says. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, rock of all eternities, faithful in all generations, the trustworthy God who says and does, who speaks and makes it come to pass all of whose words are true and righteous. Faithful are you, O Lord our God, and faithful are your words, for not one word of yours is turned back unfulfilled. For you are a faithful and compassionate God and King. Blessed are you, O Lord, the God who is faithful in all his words. That's what we say as a blessing after the reading of the Haftorah at each Torah service. We are declaring the faithfulness of God. We are saying this is his nature. He speaks and makes it come to pass. All of whose words are true. Not one word of his turns back unfulfilled. That's what we're saying. Now, What's important is that we're also living like that. It's one thing to say it, yes? It's one thing to say it over and over again, but it's another thing to live as if this is true. And when we do, when we trust the Lord and we are faithful to him, it is counted as righteousness to us. It's not just saying it or thinking it, it's living it as well. Living the truth. So when you come to the land, what does that mean? It means you will come to the land. That's what the promise was. That's what this passage in Deuteronomy 26 verse one is saying. When you come to the land. What about all the people who said, but we're not in the land? Exactly. 
You're not in the land, but you will come to the land. What land? The land Adonai, your God, is giving you as your inheritance. He's giving you as your inheritance. Who's doing the giving? God, Hashem is giving. He's doing the giving. So who's doing the receiving? We are. That's right. It's an inheritance. You know what that means? It belonged to someone, not us. We're getting it because of our relationship. It's an inheritance. Next part. When you've come to the land, Adonai your God is giving you as your inheritance, taken possession of it and settled there. Who takes possession of the land? We do. The people do? We do. And settled there. Who does the settling? We do. That's right. God doesn't do the settling. We do the settling. Who, does, who takes the possession? We take the possession. That's our responsibility. We're not called to be passive. We are called to be faithful and to do that which God has, has given us to do. Take possession of the land and settle there. And just in case you're thinking that this means you're on a permanent vacation, it makes it clear. You are to take the first fruits of all the crops the ground yields which you will harvest from your land. You will harvest from your land. Anybody have farmers or gardeners in your family background? And um, do you know that those people do work? That it's work? to farm, it, it, takes, it takes hard work, it takes real effort. So this is clear in this passage. You're to take the first fruits, so you're to take from the, your harvest the first part of your harvest, so it's what you harvested in the land that you are now working but what about all the people who say, I, I just, uh, I'm not called to be a farmer or gardener. In, <laughs> in that generation, in that moment, everybody was called. I'm sure somebody said, but I want to go to Publix. <laughs> Isn't Publix where food comes from? And for those of you who think so, um, rude awakening, Publix get, gets its food from somewhere else. Right? You are to take the first fruits of all the crops, the ground yields, which you will harvest from your land that Adonai your God is giving you. You will harvest. So there's work involved. Now we can say we're not living in an agricultural society so much anymore, we're, we're in a whole new economic era. But how many of us have to work? How many of us have to make a living? We all do, that's part of life, right? And so you could, you could say, take the first fruits from your efforts at work and bring those to the Lord. Which you will harvest from your land, Adonai your God is giving you. Who's doing the giving? God, and then put them in a basket. 
Who puts them in a basket? We do. And go to the place where Adonai, your God, will choose to have his name live. Who does the going, right? Who brings the offering? We do, right? You will approach the Kohen, the priest, holding office at the time, and say to him, who will do the saying? We will. You will say to him, today I declare. Say that with me. Today I declare. Today I declare to Adonai your God. So we're telling someone else. We're saying, today, Brian Rose, I declare to Adonai your God that I've come to the land Adonai swore to our ancestors that he would give us. Today I declare that. And by principle we can say, every place that God has given us to live is a place God has given us. And we can say, that's gonna be the place where I will fulfill such matters and I will say, here I will worship the Lord, here I will serve, here I will bring in the harvest, here I will bring my offering, here I will participate, here I will take possession, here I will settle. We don't just read this as if it's past history, we read it as if it's our history and that it guides us not just for the past but in our current situations. So the Lord is giving us, and it's our responsibility to take possession and to settle, to use our efforts and to do the work to participate. It's a great example for us. We have our part, and God has his part. And many profound truths in the scriptures are expressed this way in the, uh, where we have our part to do and God has his part. I'm gonna give an example of a completely different kind, but it's um, according to this pattern. It's from 1 John chapter 1, verse nine. It says this, if we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So who does the confessing? We do. God's not gonna confess it for us. Am I right? But you know what we all prefer to do? We prefer to confess other people's sin. They're guilty of this, they're guilty of that. If we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive who? Us, to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So think about our responsibility. Our responsibility, our part, is to confess our sin. And that requires recognition, it requires acknowledgement, it requires admitting. It requires saying to the Lord, Lord, I'm guilty of this. You know, it's very popular these days for people not to confess sin, but to make a, um, a conditional apology if I offended anyone. How many have heard that kind of apology? And, and you know, when people say that, it's always a good idea to ask them, what do you think you did wrong? to find out 
if they're actually confessing anything. And it's so popular these days not to admit anything. Well, I didn't do anything wrong, but if, if anyone was offended. And so that's like flipping it over and saying, oh, those of you who are offended, you're, you're the ones who did something wrong because I didn't do anything wrong, you just got offended. Your feelings got hurt. Oh, you poor person. That's not the right way to deal with God. It's not the right way to deal with sin. It's not the right way to deal with one another. If we confess our sin, if we confess it, that's our part. We've got to acknowledge it to ourselves. We've got to <clears throat> recognize it and admit it. Then what does God do? He forgives and he cleanses. For all those who have put their trust in Messiah Yeshua, you can be sure of this. When we're forgiven and we're cleansed, it empowers us for faithful living. When we're haunted with unconfessed sin and guilt, it takes a lot of our potency away. I wanna take a moment right now myself and give thanks to the Lord, and I want you to think about how you can do the same thing. I wanna say this, thank you, Lord, for your joy. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Thank you, Lord, for healing. You, Lord, are Adonai Rapha, the Lord who heals. Thank you, Lord, for provision. You are Adonai Yireh, the Lord who sees and provides. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for forgiveness. Thank you, Lord, for salvation. Now here's what you can do. If you're in the sanctuary, tell someone you're sitting next to in one sentence, in just a phrase, what you're thankful for. And thank the Lord. Thank the Lord by telling someone. Speak it out loud. Say something. I'm thankful for mercy too. And those who are participating on uh, live stream right now or um, Facebook or, or YouTube, you can write in the comments section a sentence of thanks to the Lord. It's, it's a way of participating, of saying to the Lord, I'm bringing an offering to you, Lord. I'm thankful to you. I'm expressing it. I'm acknowledging this. Sometimes people only think They only think about their gratitude, but they don't express it. And it's useful to express it. The psalmist at one point makes it clear, I opened my mouth and I said. I opened my mouth and I said. Some people are so passive, they would live like this. They open their mouth and then they expect words to come out without any effort. And nothing happens. That's not the way it works. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So that which rises up in us empowers us to express, to say. Now I want to look at another example of a person who may have been tempted by passivity but 
didn't let that rule over him. He actually took action. We'll start in Luke chapter 23, verses 50 through 54. Now there was a Sanhedrin member named Joseph, a good and righteous man, who had not consented to their decision or action to condemn Yeshua and to turn him over for a crucifixion. He was from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he was waiting for the kingdom of God. Verse 52, he went to Pilate to ask for the body of Yeshua. And then he took it down, he wrapped it in a linen cloth and placed it in a tomb cut into the rock where no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day and the Shabbat was beginning. The women who had come with Yeshua from Galilee followed. They saw the tomb and how his body was placed and then they returned to prepare spices and perfumes and they rested on the Shabbat according to the commandment. Interesting that they were following Shabbat and they honored Shabbat, but they actively organized their time to accomplish some things before Shabbat. So Joseph of Arimathea, a good and righteous man who was part of the Sanhedrin, he did not agree with the decision or the actions against Yeshua. And so he, after Yeshua was crucified, showed honor and respect to Yeshua. Matthew 27, verses 57 through 61 gives us some additional details that are not covered in Luke's gospel. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself was a disciple of Yeshua. Compare that to Luke's account. Luke's account doesn't say that he was a disciple. But this, in Matthew, says he was. He was a disciple. He was a Talmud. That means he put his trust in Yeshua, in Yeshua's teachings, in his way of life, in who Yeshua was. Verse 58, he went to Pilate to ask for the body of Yeshua, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. And so Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it on his own new tomb that he had cut into the rock. And then he rolled a great stone across the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. So now we know he's a good and righteous man, that he's a member of the Sanhedrin, that he's rich, that he did not consent to the decision or action against Yeshua, and that he was a disciple of Yeshua. Mark chapter 15 verse 43 adds another detail. Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent Sanhedrin member who himself was waiting for the kingdom of God, boldly went to Pilate to ask for the body of Yeshua. Now we see two more details that Joseph is not only part of the Sanhedrin, but he's prominent, he's highly regarded and that he boldly goes to Pilate asking for the body. Now in John chapter 19, we have some additional details. And this is interesting because Joseph of Arimathea is mentioned in all four of the Gospels. And that's unusual 
it, it's unusual when every gospel covers the same incident or the same action or the same person. John chapter 19, starting in verse 38. Afterwards, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Yeshua, that we already know, but here's a new detail, but secretly for fear of the Judeans or the Jewish establishment, he asked Pilate to let him remove the body of Yeshua, secretly, because he was afraid. But here's the thing, it wasn't secret to us, am I right? We know. So it's not like nobody knew, it's only some people didn't know. Some people didn't know, some people did. That happens. But probably after this, the secret was out, right? Now, verse 39 adds another interesting detail. Nicodemus, who had previously come to Yeshua at night, also brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. So Joseph and Nicodemus, who earlier had acted in ways that were less public and visible, now they're doing things that are becoming publicly known and permanently known. How do we know? Because we just got told. How do we know? Because everybody knows. It's been published. It's in, it's in the Bible, for goodness sakes. It's, it's in every gospel, for goodness sakes. So every community that was uh, a follower of Yeshua and had their preferred text, if you will, their preferred gospel, whether it was the communities associated with Mark or Luke or Matthew or John, they all had the story about Joseph of Arimathea. He was a Sanhedrin member, not just a low member, but a prominent member. And it was fearful for people to publicly identify as disciples of Yeshua, partly because of the Judean establishment and the Jewish establishment that was against Yeshua and was also allied with the Romans and the Romans who crucified Yeshua had suspicions about anybody who followed Yeshua or identified with him. And look at what happened to all the apostles. Every apostle lost his life as a martyr. It was not an easy life. It wasn't a safe life. It was dangerous. Almost every Jewish person I know, man or woman, young or old, regardless of their family background, realized that if they accepted Yeshua as Messiah, it would put them in some kind of trouble with their family. And everybody who does that has to figure out when they're gonna do it, how they're, gonna, how they're going to deal with family troubles. The family that loves you may not show that love when you become a disciple of Yeshua. 
But Joseph and Nicodemus took action. They demonstrated their faith by their actions, and we know what they did. It is not a secret to us. It's not a secret to anybody anymore. So doing good and doing what is pleasing to the Lord, not just thinking about it, not just having good intentions or attitudes, but doing it is important. Hebrews 11 verse 31 describes Rahab. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies in peace, the spies who were spying out Jericho, she did not perish with those who were disobedient. So by faith, by her trust and faithfulness, she acted. She welcomed the spies from Israel in peace. She acted, she did it. She didn't just say she would do it. She didn't just make a promise, she fulfilled the promise. And she's an example to Yaakov, to James, who sees that faith and actions go together. I show you my faith by my actions, he says. Faith without any action is dead. You see, there was, a, there was an error that said faith is one thing, action is another thing, and they're not connected to each other. But the, the apostles understood it different, that they are connected. They're to be unified. Yeshua understood, you, you say, Lord, Lord, but what do you do? Yes? Now, no one, no one can be good enough. That's the truth. You can be better than the person you're sitting next to, maybe, and maybe not. You can find some schlump somewhere who you can be better than. You can find some guilty party somewhere who you can compare yourself to and say, you know what, I'm better than she is. I'm better than he is. But when you compare yourself to a perfectly holy God, none of us is good enough. That's why we all need redemption. That's why we all need a sacrifice. That's why we all need faith in our God and his mercy. James chapter 2, verse 24 and 5 says, As you can see, a man is justified by his deeds and not by faith alone by what he does together, not by faith separated from action, but by faith joined together with action. In the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute justified by her actions when she welcomed the messengers and sent them off on another route. And the blessings that Rahab got were connected to the blessings that Rahab gave to others. She gave life and protection to others, and you know what? God used her for good. Matthew 1, verse 5. Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David Hamelech, David the king. I want to wrap up this morning with the Haftorah portion. Turn to Isaiah 60, verses 1 through 3. 
It says this, arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and gross darkness the peoples. But upon you, the Lord will arise and his glory shall be seen upon you. And nations shall walk at your light and kings at the brightness of your rising. Arise, get up, shine, let your light be seen. That's your part, that's our part. The glory of the Lord is risen upon you. That is God's part. There's nothing to shine if he's not shining on us. Darkness is around you. How many can, can see that reality? There's darkness. But don't give up. Upon you the Lord will arise and his glory will be seen upon you. You can have impact. You can have effect. Nations will walk at your light. Kings at the brightness of your rising. God's part and your part work together. Here's the fact. Your part on its own is not enough. Here's another fact. God's part without you, it's not the plan. The plan is God's part and your part working together. Your faith and your life, your actions, your deeds, they all work together. Let's close with a prayer of hope and victory. It's from Psalm 20, verses four through five. May the Lord give you the desires of your heart and make all your plans succeed. May we shout for joy at your victory and raise a banner in the name of our God. May the Lord grant all your petitions. That's our prayer. And we will rejoice as God answers you. We will rejoice for every good thing he does for us and every good thing he does for you. In Yeshua's name, amen. Would you please rise, we're gonna close. And just wanna remind you that we'll have Erev Rosh Hashanah services here in the sanctuary at Beth Israel, Sunday evening, September 25th, 7.30 p.m. Special guest speaker will be with us, Messianic Rabbi Alan Levine. It's gonna be a great time together. We'll also have apples and challah afterwards in the Shalom Center. We're gonna be closing with Aaron's blessing and um, if it's your protocol to be able to stand with people, you can. And if you need to have a little distance, respect that, everyone around you. And also let me say, those of you who are participating by live stream, if, if this live stream is a blessing to you, if our Messianic Jewish Teachings podcast, if our Beth Israel Messianic Synagogue Sanctuary services are a blessing to you, would you consider blessing our ministry? All the information is on our webpage, bethisraelnow.com slash giving. And we're gonna close with Aaron's blessing. And since Aaron is here, you wanna, you wanna do the Yivarechacha? Can we have this microphone on? I'll go ahead and start with the English. If you'll just close your eyes and let this wash over you. 
May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant each and every one of you his peace in your life. Yivarecha Adonai v'yishmarecha Yair Adonai p'navalucha v'yachunecha Yisa Adonai Adonai p'navalecha Vayasem l'cha shalom. God bless you. Amen. Thank you, everyone.